0: Welcome back to the Yellow Box Podcast. This week we are joined by community pastor Ian Simpkins as we begin a brand new series, Explore God. For more information, please visit us at www.communitychristian.org and remember, you can always find us on Sundays at the Yellow Box at 9.30am, 11.15am and 5pm and also on Monday nights at 6.30pm. We hope to see you
1: there. Well, good morning community, how are you feeling this morning. Man, it's good to see you guys. A special welcome if you're joining us digitally. Uh, I thought I'd start getting real this morning. Is that all right? Okay, moment of truth. Show of hands. How many of you have a mild to severe addiction to Google? No, okay, raise them up. Actually, keep them there. Now look around the room for a second. Those not raising their hands, we have a word for them in church. They're called liars. Um, <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, For those of you 25 or younger, you may not know this, but there actually was a time where we sometimes just wouldn't know stuff. (laughs) You would just sit with that feeling. Someone would ask a question like, where's Tom Petty from? And you'd go, I don't know. And then he went back to dinner. And then two years later, you'd be walking down the street, and you'd see someone wearing a Heartbreakers t-shirt. You'd run up, and you'd say, where's Tom Petty from? And she'd tell you, Florida, and a wave of endorphins would wash over you, and that's how you met your wife. Are you understanding me? <laughs> now what do we do? It's just, well, just ask Google. Google. Sometimes I'll I'll ask Google, I'll type into Google before I've even really thought about the question. I Google so much, it's embarrassing. And so I wondered how many other people had that same strange addiction. And I found this article entitled, 23 Weirdest Things Ever Googled. I'm going to show you the ones that I'm allowed to show in church. (laughs) Here are a few of my favorites. The first is this, who would win in a fight between a grilled cheese and a taco? I didn't realize this was going to get so aggressive. Um, obviously, Taco, for all the reasons we're thinking of. I would love to meet the guy that asked this question, though, right? Or how, how, about this, uh, how about this next one? Where to get talent? Anyone ever felt that way? You just look around, you're like, where are they getting this talent? Like it's a department store down the street or something. I need some, some of that talent. How about this one here? Uh, what if I hired two private investigators to follow each other? I can tell somebody with, like, extra cash is like, I'm doing that today. Let's, that's going to (laughs) be, okay. (laughs) I think this is my favorite that I've ever seen anywhere ever, though. It's this, this question right here. Why is Nicolas Cage on the cover of a Serbian biology textbook? Which doesn't seem that interesting until you do a little digging, though, and discover, lo and behold... Nicolas Cage on the cover of a Serbian I have no idea why. I have no idea what the story is there. That picture looks more like my dad than I'd care to admit. Um, Here's my point, though. We all have questions, every single one of us. There's not a person you've ever met or will ever meet that doesn't grapple with questions, that doesn't have questions. And some of those Google can't answer. Like big, huge, life altering types of questions. That's why we're embarking on this seven week series called Explore God to dive into some of those big questions that most of us, if not all of us, have or will wrestle with at some point in our life. And so the question that I want to ask today is this one Does life have a purpose? Does life have a purpose? Now, as Sherry mentioned, we're partnering with 800 other local Chicagoland churches walking through this series together. And so before we dive into this question, I want to say two things really quickly. The first, if you're here and you're skeptical of church, you're not sure about this whole God or Bible or Jesus thing, I am so, so, so glad that you're here. We want this to be a safe place to wrestle, to grapple, to ask questions. I hope that you feel welcome here. Secondly... Our goal in this series is not to convince you. You may be surprised to hear that. My goal, first and foremost, is to not like dismantle your worldview or to paint you into a corner. It's not to convince, but to invite. Our goal for the seven weeks is to invite you to do exactly what the series is called, explore. To just explore. To, to maybe walk this road with us a little bit and just see what happens. And so this question today that we want to wrestle with, does life have a purpose? is a huge question. And I'll be honest, it's a question I've asked in my own life numerous times. It's the, it's the meaning of life question, right? But it's not, it's not just this like cosmic question. It also has deep impact into our everyday life, doesn't it? Like, how should I spend my money? What job should I apply to? What relationship should I invest in? Do you feel the weight of that question? Does life have a purpose? Life in general, my life specifically, I'm one of seven billion people on the spinning globe. Does my life matter? Does it have purpose? Does it have meaning? It's a question I know that I've wrestled with a number of times in my life. Now, you might be surprised to discover this. This isn't even a new question. In fact, it's an ancient question. People have been asking this question for centuries. One such person who grappled with this very question is a king named Solomon. Now, Solomon lived about 300 years ago in ancient Israel, and uh, he has three wisdom books attributed to him, and the one that we're gonna kind of explore a little bit today is called Ecclesiastes. Now, there's a couple of different opinions about Ecclesiastes. Some believe that he wrote it himself. Uh, others believe that it was penned by someone in his school of thought. Either way... Ecclesiastes is wrestling with these big, massive questions that most, if not all of us, have or will wrestle with. What is the point of all of this? Is there a purpose and meaning to all of this? It's a collection of reflections reflecting on the meaning of life. And so here's how that wisdom book opens. It opens like this. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Why don't I just close in prayer then? Um, <laughs> like, what, what a downer of an intro, right? Like, Solomon would be the worst motivational speaker of all time. Can you imagine dropping like $85? You go to a conference and he walks out on the stage. He goes, hello, everyone. Welcome. I'm so glad you're here. Uh, none of this matters. Goodbye. You'd be like, well, that was, that was kind of a ripoff. And so maybe you're here and you're thinking... Okay, it's a rough start. Surely this gets better, right? It goes up from here? Uh, not really, no. Um, in fact, meaningless is like Solomon's favorite word. It shows up 38 times in Ecclesiastes alone, over and over and over again, meaningless, 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 meaningless. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what this word meaningless actually means. In the Hebrew, the word meaningless is actually the word chavel. Let me hear you say chavel. Okay, so that was a B minus. But if you're not like spitting on the neck of the person in front of you, you're not doing it right. Let's try it again. One, two, three. <laughs> that was mostly terrifying, but good. Chavel um, could be translated as vapor, as mist. And so I brought my really sophisticated vapor creating machine to kind of here, prove a point here. He's talking about something like this. Hold on, let me prime the pump. Here we go. There we, There it is. We, they wouldn't let me bring a vape pen on stage for some reason. Um, <laughs> so as Solomon is writing about the complexities of life, he's saying that in many ways, it's like a vapor. It's like a mist. Now, there's a couple of things about vapor, about mist that I think are worth noting. One, it's beautiful, right? Like for a second, you look at it and the light's hitting it and it's swirling. It's beautiful. It's mysterious. But then what happens like three seconds later? It's gone. It's fleeting. The other thing about mist is that when you first spray it, it actually kind of looks like a solid. It looks like something that you can grasp, but when you try to, what happens? It's gone. It's fleeting. Another important thing about vapor, mist, and fog is that when you're in the thick of it, it's really difficult to see clearly. Anyone ever driven your car in the middle of a thick fog? It's terrifying. So he's saying, life, it's like this vapor, it's like this mist, it's kind of like this fog. So Solomon begins to kind of recount his life a little bit talking about the various different things he pursued the things that he chased after to find this meaning. First he chased wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom and knowledge he says in verse 16 here. Look, I uh, I've increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ever ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. So surely Right, smartest guy in the room always, of all time. Surely that brought him meaning. What's the next verse say? I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. He's saying, I put all this value in being the smartest guy in the room, right? My identity was tied up in how much I know. Maybe you're there today as well. I put all of my identity, all my purpose, all my meaning in having intellect. He said, at the end of the day, It's mist. It's vapor. It's fog. Secondly, Solomon tried to find meaning in accomplishments, in doing things. Quick question. Has anyone here ever built a house, a vineyard, a reservoir, and a temple? (laughs) Probably none of us. Solomon did. He amassed these great accomplishments and still found no ultimate purpose, meaning, and identity in them. One of the strange things about being a pastor is that I've been with a number of people as they breathe their last breaths on earth. It's a, it's a heartbreaking, but a strangely honoring thing to be a part of that. And in all my years of ministry, I've never held someone's hand as they breathe their last and they thought, man, I wish I had accomplished one more thing. I wish I had gone to one more meeting. I I wish that I had one more thing to add to my resume. They never, ever say that. Why? Because they know ultimately it's fleeting. It's a mist. It's a vapor. Now, I'll be honest. This is a particular area of struggle for me. If I could just get real this morning. I often buy into the lie that I am the sum of what I can do. Anyone know what I'm talking about? I am as valuable as the things I accomplish. And it has been a lifelong journey of God revealing just how truly vaporous that is. I keep thinking that meaning will be found on the other side of this accomplishment and it never truly fulfills. Many of you know that feeling, right? Like you think, man, as soon as I get this much money, then I'll be happy and that satisfies for about what, half a second until you want more money. You get a bigger house and you're happy with that for about a day and a half until what? I want a bigger house. It's how we're hardwired. It's never truly satisfied. Solomon says it's a vapor. Next, Solomon sought after wealth. Verse eight, he says this, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. Kings, plural, provinces, plural. He was a baller is what he's saying. He was a big deal. He had mountains of coins and wealth. He amassed it all. He's saying, ultimately, and I thought I could grasp it. I thought I could go after it. I thought it would bring purpose. I thought it would bring meaning. But it doesn't. It didn't. And it won't. Another thing that Solomon says is he sought pleasure. He thought pleasure was what it was all about. Here's what he says. I denied myself Nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. He was living the eat, drink, and be merry life. Nothing he wanted he didn't have. And yet still, a mist, a vapor. Everything his heart desired he had, and yet it still didn't add up no matter what he grasped after, sought after, or indulged in, it simply was never enough.
0: praise is sung by grateful sons and daughters my soul would never still
1: Solomon had it all. If, if anyone should have been content, it would have been him. And he's saying all this pursuing, all this striving, it's what? It's, it's this. He said it's a vapor. It's a mist. It can't and won't ever fully satisfy. C.S. Lewis calls it the ever-increasing craving for an ever-decreasing pleasure. It's not enough. It was never designed to be. Something that Jim Carrey said years ago that's always kind of rattled me a bit. He said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. Jim Carrey who strived after everything he could think of, accomplished most of it, got to the top or so he thought and concluded, this didn't bring me the peace and the satisfaction and the purpose and the meaning that I thought it would. Maybe you can relate. Maybe you're in the midst of striving after a vapor. A vapor that could even be a good thing, but you're missing the ultimate thing. The thing that you were created for. The thing that you're hardwired for. That's the point. That to fill this hole in our heart. With things other than what we were designed for. Will keep us chasing vapors. So what is the answer then? Well this is Solomon's conclusion here. He says now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. He's saying, fear God, keep his commandments. And this word fear isn't just this like, cowering in fear. It's reverence. It's awe. It's opening our eyes to God's presence in our lives right this very moment. He's saying, wake up to what's really going on here. Fear God and live the way that he designed you to live. Commandments aren't just about some kind of angry teacher waving a finger and saying, I've designed you to live in a certain way. This is the life to meaning and purpose and identity and life. That's Solomon's conclusion, to fear God and keep his commandments because every single one of us, every person you've ever met, every person you will ever meet, was designed in the image and likeness of a God who loves them and sees them exactly as they are. That's the good news, that whatever story you brought in here this morning, whatever brokenness, whatever heartache you're carrying, God sees through all of that and still says, you're my beloved. I love you with an unthinkable love, a love you can't even fathom. That leads to awe, to wonder. There's an early... Christian theologian named Augustine of Hippo, and he reached this same conclusion. He said this. says, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Can anyone relate to that? He reached the conclusion, God, we were created for you, and this restlessness, this treadmill, this constant striving and doing, hoping that one of those things would eventually quiet the pain, it's never gonna happen apart from you. We were designed, we were created for relationship with him and we will be restless until we rest in that. And it is, my friends, a place of rest. Some of you maybe were handed a version of religion that made it sound like that's a whole lot more work. The gospel's first a place of rest that we bring all of our brokenness, all of our shame, all of our heartache. And Jesus says, get in here. There's room at the table. The point of that restlessness, I think, isn't a punishment. The point of that restlessness is actually to point us home, to point us to God. That the more that we try to fill that hole or quiet those voices, it's meant to wake us up, that God is who he says he is, and he's coming after us. He's pursuing us. And so in light of that, I want to I ask you two challenges today. The first is this— um, if you're not into all this God stuff, this Jesus stuff, this Bible stuff, I totally get it. I want to invite you to please keep coming back. Just, just explore. Just dip a toe in the waters. Maybe you're here and you're like, I'm, I'm wrestling, but I'm not really sure. That's great. Keep wrestling. Keep doing that. We want this to be a safe place. We want you to feel welcome here, wherever you may be. You know, there's this uh, 17th century mathematician named Blaise Pascal and he was raised in a home that, that talked about God. He knew things about God, but he didn't actually have any kind of relationship with him, so he, you know, he knew the Sunday school answers. But later in his life, he had this profound, middle-of-the-night experience with God and absolutely changed his life. It changed his life completely. In fact, he began to challenge some of his other intellectuals by saying this. He'd say, make a bet that there is a God. Make a bet that there is a God and that he loves you. If you're right, you have everything to gain. If you're wrong, you have nothing to lose. Make a bet that God is real. Make a bet that God is real. And that's the challenge I want to leave with you today is to just simply make a bet that God is real. To maybe pray this prayer right here. God, if you're real, and I'm not even totally convinced that you are, God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. I'm, I want to challenge you boldly. Every day this week, seven days, pray that prayer. It may feel awkward. You don't have to face any particular direction or wear any particular clothing or have a you know, funny religious hat or any of that. You don't have to do any of that. But I want to challenge you for, for seven days to pray that prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. Open my eyes to the reality of your presence. Do something in my life that blows my mind. I want to challenge you, if you're wrestling, if you're doubting, if you're skeptical, to pray that prayer and look for God to make himself known. The second challenge, for those of you maybe who are Christ followers in the room, I want to invite you to pray that same prayer. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And you might be thinking, why, why would I pray that prayer? I'm, I already believe. I'm already in. I'm, I'm team Jesus. I have the banner. I have, I'm ready. I'm, let's do this. Here's what I know. So often, we can profess with our lips something that's not actually true in our lives. I've been there. I've said the right religious things, but the truth of the matter, my heart was shut off. I was not in any way surrendered to God. We, we, we will not always live what we profess, but we will live what we believe. Sometimes those are not the same thing. Some of us are living as practical atheists. We have good church attendance. We know good church trivia but we've not actually surrendered our lives to the God of the universe. We've not fully and completely trusted in him. We're still grasping at vapors. We're still seeking meaning and purpose and identity apart from him. So maybe the question that we could ask is this, am I truly grabbing hold of God or am I still grasping at vapors? Because in a world of vapors, God is the only solid. And I'll be really blunt. This Christianity thing is not that hard to fake. And I've done it myself. Lip service to a God where I still have decided I'm gonna live my life exactly as I want to live it. What if, whether you've been walking with God for a long time or not much at all, we all pray that prayer, God, if you're real, and I I don't know if you are, I believe that you are, I know that you are, would you make yourself real to me? open my eyes to the ways that you are working and moving in the world. Because a lot of us are still grasping, right? We're still pursuing all these other things. And I'm telling you, friends, when you put the weight and expectation of God on anything other than God, that thing will eventually crumble beneath the weight. Listen, if if you can't Take a day off, take a vacation, or eat a donut. You might be your own God. And God's saying, I didn't design you that way. You're not made to live that way. And one of the things that I find, particularly with talks like this, is that sometimes the sentiment for us is that we think that vapor management is what's going to get us healthy, right? If I can organize and categorize and shuffle all my, if I can fix or categorize or manage my vapor, then I'll be good. Then I'll be taken care of. Then I'll find purpose and identity and meaning. And Jesus saw this tendency in us. He knew that we would be drawn to vapor management. He didn't want us to obsess over missed opportunities. That's the right response. That's the right response. So here's, here's what Jesus says in one of the most famous sermons ever uttered, addressing and knowing that our tendency to chase things that won't bring us meaning, won't bring us purpose, he says this. He says, here's the bottom line. Don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll drink. Don't worry about your, how to clothe your body. Living is about more than merely eating, and the body is about more than dressing up. He's saying you're obsessing over all these things that aren't going to bring you the purpose and security that you think that they will. And here's how he concludes this sermon. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be given to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. That means give your entire life to God. Not just your Sunday mornings. Not just your church friends, all of you to God. It's, a, it's an invitation to hop off of the treadmill, to opt out of the rat race of always trying to be good enough or smart enough or wealthy enough or successful enough or accomplished enough or holy enough. Say, man, apart from God, God, when God is first, when we surrender first and foremost to him, you will be amazed at what he will do in our lives. So what if we took a bet on God? God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And what would change if we actually lived, if that were true? Not just in our own lives, but for every single person that you ever met. God loves you as you are, not as you ought to be, because none of us are as we ought to be. We all have baggage. We all have scars. We all have wounds. And Jesus says, bring all of that to me, I will give you rest. I will give you purpose. I will give you an identity and a mission and a dream that you couldn't possibly dream of your own. What would it look like for us to start there? Jesus came to wake us up, to make us aware of what we already have in him so we wouldn't waste our life chasing things that won't ultimately satisfy I think C.S. Lewis put it best. He said, God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you that you have created us for yourself. That you didn't create us in the world and spin it on its axis and leave us to figure it out that you gave us yourself in Jesus. God, that you don't just simply desire lip service. You desire our entire lives. God, whatever fog or mist or vapor we're in the midst of right now, God, help us to see it for what it is, to cut through the fog and to pursue you. God, make yourself real to us. Maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, God, make yourself real to us. Help us to loosen our white-knuckled grip on the things that won't ultimately satisfy and cling more and more fully to you. We thank you, God, and we love you. And we pray all of these things in the beautiful, powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.